it was one of the most horrendous. I, I don't dream, I don't have nightmares. I've never had them. I just don't have them. But it was, in fact, it was so horrendous. I told my wife about it about 4.35 this morning. And I said, Carol, I, I can't even believe what I was dreaming. It was, it was, there was murder. There was uh, just gang activity, a lot of things that were going on. And when I woke up out of that dream, the Lord immediately spoke to me. And he spoke to me at my heart. He says, Ray, I want you to share something, not about the dream, but he said, there are some of my people that are living life and they want to wake up from the nightmare they're in. They actually feel they're in a nightmare. How many of you know what Scripture says? When the Lord turned again our captivity, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our hearts filled with singing. And the Lord just said, I want to tell the people the nightmare is over. And let them know that you're going to come out of this this stage where you all you see is bad things and curses on your life. The nightmare is over. And I'm going to raise you with resurrection power and cause you to see the favor of the Lord on your life. Now, I don't know who that relates to, but someone has said, I mean, I, I don't dream like I dreamt, but it was so horrendous and so, it was such a darkness on it. And the Lord said, there's people that are believers that have been walking through a nightmare of things and they've been asking, God, will you wake me up from this? Does anybody relate to that right now? Okay, I see your hand. Anyone else? Okay. I, I just, I want, you to, I want you to do something. Lay your hand on your heart right now and just say, the nightmare is over. The Lord declares a fresh start in my life today. Would you lay your hand on your mind? I have the mind of Christ. Old things have passed away and all things become new. In Jesus' name. Can you receive that in Jesus' name? You need to give thanks to the Lord. The nightmare is over. In Jesus' name. I have a word. Just a couple of quick words. I want to get in my message. Megan's mother. Please forgive me what your name was. Kathy. Kathy. I'm over here in, in worship. And I saw a revolving door. And the door was revolving, and it's in front of you. And this door kept revolving. I said, well, Lord, what, what in the world is a revolving door about? And people were coming to you and your husband. And people were coming, and they were leaving. And coming, and they're leaving. And here's why. You have a real gift to listen. There's a patience. There's an insight and a wisdom in you and broken people coming to you. There's a, I don't know if you counsel at all. Are you a counselor? But, you, but I, I just saw you mentoring and ministering some people in some serious problems and your husband, and they're leaving you. And when they're leaving you, it says, man, I never thought of that. Never, never heard answers like that. You have a real shepherd's heart, both you and your husband. And you also, God is, you're going to see 
doors open up in your community where city officials are going to say, we can trust this couple. And people are going to say, we can trust what they say. They've been here a while. They know what they're talking about. And I just felt like the Lord giving the spirit of Daniel upon your husband. I wish you could tell him this. Your husband made a, a promise to the Lord. I don't know this. But he, he made a promise. He says, Lord, I will not defile myself. He purposed in his heart. And God granted him wisdom to speak into the Nebuchadnezzars of his day. You're going to be speaking to people in high places. But I saw this revolving door, and I just, just say that to you. Amen? Do you ever say that? Does, does it bear witness? D don't just agree. Go ahead and say, Pastor Ray, you're off the wall. I'm okay with that. Yeah, you don't just, yeah. Some people just say yes to everything, and I, I'm okay if they don't say it. Okay. Yeah, I just, really? Praise God. Yeah, I, I see people in places of political places that are coming, knocking on your door saying, what do you think? I think your husband's going to be asked to run for something. I think that that's going to ha may happen. Daryl, I, uh, uh, Daryl and your wife, your best days are ahead. You're saying, you know what, we've been getting older, but you don't see yourself that way. Not at all. Both of you say, you know what, we're still young at heart. And you see yourself that way. And I want to say something to you. God is not finished with you. God has something for, for you. In fact, you have the heart of a teenager. You two love to have fun. I mean, you really love to have fun, but it's like, do we dare have fun? We're older. You have permission to have fun in this house. Not only that, you can relate. You, you know, some people get stuck in generations, and they just remember the good old days. That's not you. You have been progressive, and the Lord says, I am so pleased with your ability to adapt and grow and press through into new phases of growing in the Lord. There's a teaching mantle on you, Daryl. And you just love the house of God, and you just love worship, and you're a dreamer, and you're uh, artsy, and there's a real gift in you in that way, and the Lord just wants you to launch into some of these artistic gifts and abilities that you have in the Lord. And not only that, there's healing in your hands. Okay? Don't, don't just start laying hands on people and just blessing them. You're just going to see shackles broken. But I, I just felt like, the, you know, there's, a, there's an old saying, and I'm not relating that to this to you. I'm, I'm almost relating. You know the old phrase that says you can't t teach old dogs new tricks? You're not an old dog. Okay? You're not an old dog. You're, you're so teachable, and you're still growing. And God wants you. I, I actually saw you guys kind of doing the do-si-do -do and worship and just kind of really letting go, and people are saying, can they do that? You have permission to do that. Amen? You love the Lord. You're precious in his sight. And I, I, just, I just had to share that with you. Praise God. I just...
I just want to say to this couple here, praise God. I've met you before, haven't I? Have I met you before? Boy, you look so familiar to me. Well, I, I didn't know that. But you know what? You guys, I know anything about you. No one's told me. I thought you were somebody else, actually. But when I was, again, you walked through some stuff. But the Lord is saying, it is a really brand new day for both of you. And boy, are you a prayer warrior. You have been seeking the Lord about things. And you're a songbird. Boy, you sing. And you love to sing. Is that right? And there's, there's a song in your heart. But it's not just a song for singing. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The War Room. You are armed and dangerous. You are so dangerous and hell knows your name. And you have interceded and prayed for things, for breakthrough. You have stood and interceded for this man. And you have prayed. Is that right? And you know what? He's a new man. You've been praying for victory. Is that right? He's a new man. And I want to tell you something. God has already slain Goliath. And you're, you're going to see the enemy come down. You're going to run through a troop. You're going to leap. You two are yoked together in your re relationship. God's, the strength of your ministry is it's not one doing his own thing. It's you two yoked together, moving together. And you're so precious. And you're such quality people in the sight of the Lord. But you have not seen yourself that way. The enemy tried to take things even from your youth. And Satan came to kill, still, and destroy some things. But the Lord is coming to restore the years that the canker worm hath eaten. He's restoring your joy, your peace, and he's restoring dignity and favor over both of you. It's, it's a day of restoration for you. And the joy of the Lord, you have the right to be happy. What's in the past is gone. He wants you to rejoice. And I want to say this about this thing about the nightmare. The nightmare is over. For both of you. You have the right to lift your head and walk with honor because God honors you today. He honors you. Both of you are precious in the sight of the Lord. Amen. Isn't God good? He's a good guy. Thank you, Lord. Well, guess what? I don't like shopping. I went out and bought some new boots yesterday. How many have ever tried to go shopping in a mall on a Saturday? I learned, I'm not a shopper, but I had to go out and buy some shoes because my black shoes wore out. I went into this parking lot, literally, I want to tell you, the Lord tested my patience for 30 minutes. I could not find a parking spot for 30 minutes. Finally, I came behind a woman who was trying, there was an open lot, and two women tried to come into the same parking spot. They both got out of the car, and they almost started duking it out. They're yelling in front of me, and I'm saying, Lord, what do I do? I mean, these two women 
are yelling. One was in a BMW. I don't know what the other car was, but, but they're really upset and they're fighting. There, there was no collision, but they were, I was here first. No, you weren't. Yes. And one gal swung her purse around and hit the other one, which is battery, by the way. You cannot do that to people. You cannot hit people. A security guard runs out and stops the whole mess. And I said, you know, Lord, I, I don't need shoes today. <laughs> I, I don't think I need my shoes today. And, and the Lord, I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not. The Lord said, Ray, why don't you ask me for some help? And I said, well, okay, Lord, give me a parking spot. And you, will not, you may not believe this, but you know what? I come right down in front of the store and a woman pulls out and I pull right into the store. And, and it was like God was saying, see? Say what I will do if you just ask. I mean, it, it just, and, and I know some of you may say, oh, come on, Pastor, that was a coincidence. You know, it just happened to happened to run into a parking spot. Well, after you're waiting for 30 minutes on a Saturday and you see two women duking it out, you know, you begin to wonder, that must have been a miracle. But, you know, I tell you, God wants to answer even the littlest of prayers. How many of you, and, and you know, it's an interesting testimony, and I got my boots, thank you, Lord. But, uh, but you know, we, we, I believe God really wants to try, uh, uh, he wants to really answer prayers. He's a God who really is a good father, a great father. Amen. Would you just look at this picture up here? I'm just, uh, just have a few minutes this morning. I know our time's moving along. Uh, I want to be starting a series on the revival fires. How many of you are believing for revival? God wants to bring revival, and when revival comes, it doesn't always come in the way we would expect it. But one of the things that in order for revival to come, God has to enlarge us. Everyone say us. Now we can pray for revival, we can expect revival, but God has no problem giving anybody revival, but when you begin to pray for something, get ready, it may be bigger than what you're asking for. It may not come in the nice little box that you were expecting it to come. And sometimes God will begin to speak to us. If we could go to the next PowerPoint, I want you to see a very, very familiar passage. John 3, 16 and 17 says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish. God's not interesting that anyone perish, be cast aside, but would have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to what? God did not send his son into the world condemn it. Now what's the world filled with? What's the world full of? Hitlers? Hateful people? Angry people? Murderers? Perverted individuals? Prostitutes? Drug addicts? Alcoholics? Abusive fathers and mothers? He didn't come to condemn the world. He didn't say he didn't come into the, to condemn the church. Or he didn't say, I didn't come into the world to condemn good sinners. He says, I didn't come to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be what? 
restored, delivered, or saved. God's objective is to save, heal, and deliver, and to atone. Years ago, jump with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Let me uh, read a text. This is my key text this morning in Luke chapter 5. Verse 27. And after these things, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, or Matthew, sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against the disciples. It's interesting, they go behind Jesus' back and they go to the disciples, saying, why, does your, why do you eat and drink with thieves and tax collectors? See, under the old covenant, you were not supposed to connect or befriend them because of this concept of defilement. If if you're around those kind of people, they will hurt you and harm you, and they will defile you. So what you did, if you were a Pharisee, you put distance between you and a person that you thought would defile you. That's what you do. That's the way a Pharisee thinks. And listen, tell tell you why. Because Pharisees, a religious spirit is always filled with fear. What does perfect love do? Perfect love casts out fear. But see, the Pharisees, a religious spirit, has a tendency to compartmentalize, categorize, and put people in a box. They're defiled. Why would your master eat with them And it says in tax collectors, and Jesus says, those who are well, those who think they have it together, they don't need a physician. But those who are sick. Guess what? If you're sick this morning, Jesus can help you. If you're sick, you're a candidate for restoration. If you're well, or if you think you're well, or if you're trying hard in your own strength, you can't be helped. Because he says, I didn't come to gather the righteous together, but sinners, broken, sick people to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you, Lord, that you're a God, you're a savior. And Lord, you see beyond the surface of things in our own life. And you, you go deep. You're going deeper. You're going deep in our lives even right now. Your spirit, the searchlight of your love and your light, Lord, is digging deep in our lives to help us understand what you're saying and what you're doing. We ask you, Lord, that you would just begin to reveal your grace and your perfect love. And everyone said? The Bible says in 1 John that Jesus, in the very image of his Father, came, and the Bible says, and we all beheld the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. The law came by Moses. The law always makes you a judge and an inspector. You go around with a magnifying glass, and you will begin to judge and inspect people 
whether they're good or evil, because you wear this glass lens. Usually people that have been hurt in the past, even hurt or wounded in the past, will have a tendency to judge. And they will make certain statements or comments or even their behavior. But the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. When you're healed and you're healthy, you're not afraid of anybody. You're not. And you know why? Because you're already dead. You're dead to yourself. You no longer, I, I love what Todd White says. Get over yourself already. That's what he says. Because he will stand in the most amazing places and share the love of God in the situations that people curse and cuss at him and tear him and mock him and slander him. And yet this guy walks in such freedom because he sees beyond the behavior and he sees the heart. He sees the Father's heart on people. You know, several years ago, how many, how many were alive back in the late 60s and early 70s? Well, I'm asking some of you. There was a pastor by the name of Chuck Colson. And it was during what we know as the hippie age or the hippie movement. And there was a motto by the hippie movement, and it was this. And they had, different, they had these communes all over the nation. And really the establishment of the hippie movement was a revolution against the, quote, establishment of America and against the American dream. Because the American dream was all about having a job, getting an education, buying a house, and living in a perfect yard and a perfect fence with a perfect wife and a perfect house, and everything was perfect, and you had all your job and your money and, and everything, but the problem is, even though they had all their money and their economy and they had everything and the job, and people were still shallow and empty. So what happened is all these young people, which called themselves hippies, begin to rise up. It was a knee-jerk reaction. And they begin to rebel against the establishment. Remember some of the mottos was, free love, free drugs, free food. Remember, free freedom was the name of that day. Hey, man, you had some free food? We're hungry. How about some free sex, free love? And people were hurting and abusing each other. Well, there was a pastor by the name of Chuck Colson who actually opened the doors of his church and he welcomed these hippies. Thousands came to his church because he preached the love of Jesus. He even had a picture of Jesus and guess what Jesus looked like? A hippie. He had the long hair, he had the robe, he looked like a guru, and he talked about the love is free. And so a lot of these people begin to come into the church, and Chuck Colson, he's talking about how love is a free gift, and it's awesome, and God's love does not judge men, and God's love casts out fear, and God's love gives you a fresh start. So all these kids were coming in with their dogs, and they were smoking their marijuana right in their services, and some of them were bringing their Michelob light and drinking and getting high with Jesus at the same time. Praise God. I mean, they were having church. Then, past, this is his own words, uh, Chuck said this. He says, I begin to realize, wow. I'm preaching the love of God, but nobody understands the actual end game or the purpose of love. 
Because how many of you know today love is a word that we just kind of shoot around, but usually love from the world's tinted, hurting, wounded, defiled lens is usually rooted in selfishness or out of my own pain. And so if I don't know the author of love, guess what? I don't know how to love. Let me say that again. If you don't know the author, how many of you know that God is love? If I don't understand the author of love, that means I am not able to really love or operate in the kind of love that makes our relationship healthy. And so Chuck began to teach that in order for us to really understand love, the love of God, first of all, it's a sacrificial love. Jesus gave his life, not just so that you could keep living the way you live. How many of you know that the end game for God's love is ultimately to be transformed? But love starts by getting to know who Jesus is. I got to come to know him. And from knowing him, now I can begin to trust him. Everyone say trust. You'll never trust anybody you don't know. If you don't trust somebody, it's because you don't know. Trust starts by getting to know them. After you know them, you trust them. When you come to trust him, then you follow him. When you begin to follow him, you ultimately begin to obey him. Jesus said, here in his love, in that you keep my commandments. And then, of course, as you begin to obey him and you're following him, it ultimately leads you to a place where you're selfless. And you're no longer selfish, but you're transformed into the same image of the one who loves you most. The goal of love was never to leave you the way you are. God doesn't want to leave you the way you are. You know why? Because he loves you too much to leave you that way. He loves you so much, He will not let you stay where you're at because He loves you. Amen? Let me put another word in this. That God loves you so much that He hates what hurts you. Some people say the opposite of love is hate. No, it's not. Love and hate go hand in hand. If I really love my wife, I hate anything that would break trust between us. See, the opposite of love is selfishness. It's a self-serving attitude. It's a me first. It's, it's, it's being afraid. It's putting walls around yourself because i got to protect myself. Notice what it says here in verse 27. I love this. By the way, we're talking about discipleship. David has been leading us on this. I'm going to show you some things about discipleship in verse 27. And after these things, he went out. Everyone say out. If you're a true disciple, God's going to take you outside of your boundaries. He's going to take you out. Out of your comfort zone. He's going to take you out. From your circle of friends, he's going to take you out. Jesus was always leading you out. And guess what? When you're taken out, it's taking you up. He takes you out. But he didn't just take you out. Notice the next line. He went out and saw. Everyone say see. 
I've got to come out and I've got to really look. But not through my wounded, broken, hurting eyes. I need to see the world through his eyes. Because I've talked myself. I've been angry. I've been bitter in my life. I've been afraid of people. And you know why I am? Because I'm looking at people through wounded, broken, hurting eyes. And another problem is called stereotyping. When you begin to put a wide brush on everybody, you begin to brush everybody as being evil because I'm still hanging on and there's still past hurts that I bring up and I slap it in your face because I remember way back there when somebody hurt me, so you're the same. That kind of a person should not be discipling. A.W. Tozer, an amazing man of prayer, said this, you can never disciple anyone until you disciple yourself. If you cannot disciple yourself, you have no business. You know why? Because you may have your theology down, you may have your gifts down, but what you're doing is you're communicating a broken and wounded spirit on other people instead of a healthy, whole spirit. One of the reasons why we're doing the seven pillars is so people not just have gifts, not just because they're prophetic, not just because they can teach and prophesy, it's so they can get healthy. And they're no longer wounded and they're no longer broken like I was and like I have been. And you know one thing about perfect love? You're not ashamed anymore. You're not ashamed of the gospel. You're not ashamed to share your testimony. You're not hiding in the dark. You're not afraid of what will people do if they find out. I had that four or five months ago. And God began to say, Ray, I want to break that spirit of fear, and I'm going to disclose some things, not for your sake, but so I can set my people free. You see, if you're not free to share your testimony... How can you ever share the gospel with other people to have them come to freedom if you're still not free? Now, don't, don't say, well, Pastor, I guess you're just kind of popping my balloon and tell me not to disciple. No, I'm not saying, no, we, we could all share the love of God. We still need to share the grace of God. Can I tell you, by the way, do you know that Jesus never commissioned his disciples until after they were baptized in the Holy Spirit? He sent them out on short excursions, but they were not until... The Filled with power. The power of the Holy Spirit. What was the power of the Holy Spirit? Gifts only? No. It's compassion. Everyone say compassion. Jesus, I, I asked the Lord, look at this verse. Look at this verse. This is an amazing verse to me. I read this for years and I wondered, Lord, how in the world could you get a man like Matthew, Levi, who had a lavish lifestyle? This guy had security. He had money. He lived a high-class lifestyle, but he was a publican. Not a Republican. He was a publican. A publican was a Jew who worked for Rome. So the Jews not only hated Levi and tax collectors, but they saw them as traitors. Jesus, the Bible says, went out and saw Levi, and what is so mind-boggling about this is Jesus says two words, follow me. And notice what the scripture says. He rose up, forsook all, and followed him. And I said, Lord, how does that happen? I don't know, how many here have ever said, follow me, and they don't follow you? 
Anybody ever been there? Hey, come on, why don't you come this way? Nope, I don't think so. And, and I was reading this, and while I was in prayer and meditation on this, the Lord said, there's one word, Ray, you're not seeing. I said, what is the word in that verse? And it's the word, saw. When Jesus saw him. So I went into the Greek, and the Greek word, and if I can say it, it's optenomehi, optenomehi. And I come to find out it's, it's the word that we get optimism or optimistic. And it means this. It's in the middle tense voice, which means to gaze with wide open eyes as something remarkable rather than a casual glance. It signifies a deep interest and earnest desire to express value and privilege to come to know. Jesus looked at this Matthew and said, you know what? What an honor it is to see you. Wow, you rip-off thief and liar and skimmer and tax collector. Would you follow me? Now, he didn't say that. Jesus just said, follow me. But that's what he was. He was a thief. He was a skimmer. He skimmed off the money. He was a thief. He was a traitor. But the Bible says the word saw there, he looked at him with optimism, not a casual glaze, but he looked at him as like, you are remarkable. Wow. What a privilege and honor. It communicated honor and privilege to such a degree just through an expression that Levi said, I'm out of here. Where are you going? Have you ever, Jesus didn't say anything else. He just said, follow me. But it was in the look. There was a, he saw him with optimism. Have you ever looked at people with optimism? Have you ever looked at somebody that you know, maybe has broken some laws, maybe, maybe they're not the kind of people you want to hang around. What we're talking about is revival. Everyone say revival. This is what revival is going to cost. Because here Jesus looks at him. But notice what it says. He left all, verse 20, rose up and followed him. Then notice, then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him. Let me tell you something. Guess what it means to follow Jesus. He always takes you back to your house. When you follow Jesus, he takes you home. Notice Jesus didn't go anywhere else. He said, follow me. Now let's go to your house. Oh, guess what else he did? Matthew was so comfortable that he invited his other drinking buddies and drug buddies and party buddies and said, hey, come on. Usually people have the motto, hide the beer, the pastor's here. But not Jesus not Matthew. Matthew, hey guys, come on over. Bring your booze with you. Bring your drugs. Bring it all. Jesus, man, this guy has such optimistic faith. Now, some of you are probably man, Pastor Ray, is Jesus kind of light on sin? No. God gives grace to transform us from our sin. Jesus is not compromising anything here. He's building a bridge because he's not coming to condemn the world but to seek and to save that which is lost.
And Levi felt so comfortable to invite his tax collector buddies that were also thieves and drunkards and party animals. Hey, guess what? Jesus is coming. I'm holding the feast. And by the way, do you know what? When they would sit around, they, they don't sit around like we do at a buffet line. Do you know the way? This is, this is the way that Jesus, this is the way the Jewish people used to eat. They used to sit down and lounge like this. So the tax, Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're out there watching this open window, and Jesus is lounging. Levi's here, another tax. They're drinking and having a good time, and Jesus sitting there kind of laughing and enjoying the party. And the Pharisees are saying, how come your master is eating with these defiled, horrible people? And then Jesus responds, he says, those that are well are those who think they're well. They don't need me. But those who are sick. What is, what is a, Jesus came as a physician. You know, do you know what? How many here have gone to the doctor lately? What happens when you go to a doctor? Because Jesus says, they that are sick need not a physician. They that are whole need not a physician. What happens when you go to a physician? They listen. What was that? I didn't hear you, but I believe you. <laughs> but they listen to you. They ask you questions. How you feeling? How you doing? And they may feel free or not free, but the point is, Jesus was getting into their life because he cared about it. Everyone say, he cares about me. Jesus cares. Jesus didn't come to say, ah, ah, well, so I noticed you got the pot running good. Well, looks like the Jack Daniels is really running pretty good up here too. It's got to go. So you've been skimming and stealing from the widows, haven't you, Matthew? Well, it's obvious. There's judgment coming on your house. That's not the way Jesus dealt with it. The Bible says that when Jesus saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. Because they were sheep without a shepherd, not knowing where they were going. Now you may say, well, Pastor Ray, well, well, well going back to Chuck Colson, what, what, what happened? Chuck, Chuck began to minister the love of God. You know what? When you minister the love of God, one thing you have to have is great patience. Everyone say patient. Now turn to your neighbor and say, I'm patient with you. Well, praise God. I'm patient with you. Now say this, I believe in you. Because see, Jesus, when he looked at Matthew and saw him optimistically, Jesus didn't see him as a broken, wounded warrior. Jesus saw him as an individual who would be a world changer. That's what compassion does. Compassion doesn't see the person sick and wounded and broken. He sees him as a world changer. He sees him transformed. Jesus was able to see the end from the beginning. He didn't dwell on the things he was doing wrong. He was dwelling on the things that the Father would accomplish through him. 
as he would continue to abide. Everyone say abide. Abide in his love. I need to abide in his love. Three things. Closing. Three things about the love of God. God's perfect love. Go to the first one. First of all, love always gets close. Love always gets close. Love doesn't push people away. Love gets close. Everyone say close. The Bible says we know that we pass from death into life because we love one another. You can love in theory, but loving means I'm going to get close to you. Yeah, but there's pain. No, that's not the love of God because perfect love casts out fear. So you're not walking in perfect love. Perfect love casts out fear. Now, if you have expectations about a relationship, now I'm not saying that we shouldn't have expectations and we shouldn't expect certain things, and we should, but we also need to examine the health and the well-being of people because love always gets close. Jesus desires to get close to you. The Bible says in Revelations 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's getting not just close to nice, good Christians, He's getting close to people that are sick. What do I mean by a sick person? A contagious person. A wounded person. A bitter person. Love always gets close. Say that with me. Love always gets close. My wife and I, we got close to some individuals in our neighborhood that are in a particular lifestyle that we would not engage in, but God told us to get close to these individuals. And it's amazing how walls are dropping and the love of God is beginning to flow. We don't talk about their lifestyle. What we talk about is how honored we are to know them. Guess what that does? It builds a bridge and it tears down walls. Love gets close. Love is patient. Love is willing to wait. Love believes all things. Love does not keep an account. Love forgives all things. Love believes all things. Love, love, love. The love of God. It gets close. Fear stays away. It pushes people away. The Pharisees were were fearful of being around defiled people. So why? Why and how can your master eat with such people? How many of you believe it's good to be baptized in the love of God? Guess what? We need to get close to Republicans. How about some Democrats, too? It's so sad when I hear Christians getting into these political battles. How many of you believe Jesus loves Democrats and Republicans or independents? We have so much going on in our world today There's so much violence and sexism and racism and all the other isms out there. We're supposed to be above that. We're to value every person. Love gets close. The second thing about the love is love always goes low. Everyone say low. See, Jesus demoted himself. Jesus just didn't give love. He gave up his rights. He exchanged his glory to become a sinner. Jesus gave up his honor to become a servant. 
When you go low, love stoops. Everyone say stoop. Love stoops. Jesus stooped down and He washed the disciples' feet. Love stoops. Yeah, but you just don't know what they did, Pastor Ray. You, 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 I just have rights and they, they, you just don't understand. Love stoops. Love goes low. Yeah, but I was overlooked. I should have. I was the next in line for promotion on my job, and my boss—they just overlooked me, and they promoted this other individual. I have my rights. Love stoops. I remember one time the Lord said, "Ray, even though somebody hurts you, you're still to give thanks." You may even feel you're right. Love stoops and gives up the right to be right. One thing I've learned about love, and I'm learning, I'm still learning, I'm, I haven't arrived by any means, is sometimes the love of God does not involve a feeling. Sometimes your feelings are not there yet. But the love of God is a walk of faith. It stoops down. Jesus stooped. In fact, he reached so low that he loved you to death. He stooped so low that he was willing to allow sinful sinners to nail the Son of God to the cross. And while he's on the cross hanging there, on the cross, this is how love stoops. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's what love is. How many are ready? Still ready for revival? Praise God. We're still ready for revival? Because it's going to take some stooping. Somebody's going to look at you cross-eyed. Somebody's going to remind you about your past. Somebody's going to say something that might hurt you. Are you going to, all right, I'm ready for a fight. Or I'll tell you what, I'll just punish you with silence. Some people just say, you know what? <laughs> They're on the left side of the church. I'll sit on the right side of the church. If they come in the front door, I'll make sure I go out the back door. See, that's not the love of God. That's fear. Please, please understand that if we're going to walk in health and wholeness, we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to open our hearts. Love goes low. Love doesn't protect itself. Love says, Lord, you counted me as a lamb for the slaughter. You want me to be slaughtered so that others can know you than to count me as a sheep for the slaughter. Paul says all day long, we die daily. 2 Corinthians 4, I die daily. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things are not seen. We have to have a vision beyond the present. Love goes low. Jesus went low. The last thing is this. Love looks for you. Do you know that all the religions of the world talk about how you must search and look for God? But in Christianity, Jesus is looking for you. Love looks for you. The Bible says in John 15, 15, it says this, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I'm looking for you. I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking at the door of your heart. 
And he says, the people that I'm going to use, the people that I can really use as a testimony for my power are people who recognize that without me, they can do nothing. But if you're trying to climb that ladder to be approved in your own strength and you're following the path of a Pharisee, you've got to realize, you know what, Lord? I'm weak, I'm sick, and I'm willing to exchange my honor, my glory, my position, even my position, so that you can be glorified in my weakness. What's the purpose of love? God's love was transformed before our eyes that Jesus lived on earth. He didn't come to serve, but he came to serve. He came to stoop. He came to be a ransom for many. Some of us right now are in situations where people have hurt you, people have stepped over you, maybe your bosses have promoted other people other than you, maybe your neighbor has a barking dog and they don't care about your sleep at night, maybe something's going on in your house, you know, it could be one thing or another, and the Lord asks you, revival starts at home. When Jesus had Levi follow him, he went home. Why did he go home? Why did Jesus take Matthew home? Was it to have a party? No. Jesus enjoyed the party. He enjoyed the fellowship. What he was doing was he was building a bridge. He was saying to these men or women, I love you. I value you. But the goal is not to leave you where you're at. The goal is to bring you into a transformed life. And that comes as we begin to show faith in people, show compassion in people. We begin to believe in people. It's easy to do that with our friends. It's easy to do it with people that endorse us and affirm us. But what about people that don't affirm us? What about people that shrug you? Maybe say lies about you. Make up stories about you. That's when your faith is really tested. Jesus went low so the Father would be glorified and so people can be healed. Amen? How many of you want to go to a new level? I want to just say this in closing. When our church in Portland was praying for revival, we had no idea what we were praying for. When we begin to pray for revival, we were a church of 100, finishing Pastor Iverson's story last week. That a church of 100... Do you know three different groups of people came into our church? First, hippies. I will never forget sitting in the middle of the back of the church and we were enjoying the worship of the Lord and I was just praising the Lord, blessing the Lord. And all of a sudden, while I was worshiping, I smelled the absolute worst body odor in my life. And as I was worshiping, and I thought, I did this. And then I looked up. And there was a man by the name of Jan Weinstein who was a Jewish man from New York. And he looked literally like Jesus Christ. But he was worshiping, tears flowing down, his, and he had not had a bath in weeks. And he smelled. And you know what I did? This is what I did. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God, Lord. You have to send us revival, Lord, but not those kind of people in Jesus' name. I mean, I, I really had this when the hippies came in. Now, back in my day, when you went to church, you had a suit and tie on. You, wore, you didn't go to church without a tie. 
Boy, have we backslid today, haven't we? But back in those days, we had to wear suits. They came in with casual clothes, and we had a cow. I'm not kidding that. Are you, some of us can remember. Yeah, we had a cow. They, had, they didn't have, and I, I remember, this is the thing that really hit me. Jan Weinstein actually wore flip-flops to church. And I just couldn't, I'm, how dare him be in the house with flip-flops? He looks like Jesus, long hair, and he smells like a rat. God cannot love a person like that. I mean, that was my mindset. And then we had other people came in. One time, Brother Dick was preaching, and a big black lab came running down the hallway, and the guy got loose on his collar and just ran down. We had this big black lab just running and sniffing everybody in the front row, and Brother Dick stops it. Ushers, get down here, get the lab. I mean, revival is messy. We had some people that came in with beer. They pulled, you know, we, we'd pull out, well, of course, we couldn't drink anything in, back in those days. But someone pulled out a beer. I remember one guy had a, uh, I don't know if it's called a gooseneck or whatever, but he's just sitting there drinking, loving Jesus. Praise God, thank you, love. Thank you, Jesus. And, I, you know, if you're drinking, I'm not accusing, I'm not making an issue of drink. But, but here's the thing. We weren't ready for that. And then that wasn't the, the only group. Then we had gypsies come in the church. They filled up the first two. By the way, they really dressed nice, but some of the women were really in really very loose-fitting clothing, and some of our guys were sitting there like that, and, and their eyes were not on Jesus. I just say that. And so, but they were people. And then we had a group of Russians that came in. None of them could speak English, but all these Russian immigrants started coming into the church. Finally, we didn't know what to do with it. But the church was growing until somebody got up and says, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. Stop. We don't want it. No more nations. We can't handle any more of these kind of different ethnic groups. And we were praying for something we didn't know how to deal with. Now, why am I saying all that this morning? Because I believe God wants to send revival here. And I am helping us because the Holy Spirit told me to let you know revival is coming. And when they come through these doors and into your homes, they're going to need love. They're going to need friendship. They're going to need somebody that says, I love you. you don't, you know, I mean, you're not going to say, well, you smell bad. You're going to love them beyond the beer, the booze, and the body odor, and all the issue. You're going to say, you're my brother, you're my sister. I'm so glad you're here. You're going to look at them with optimism, and you're going to say, you know what, man, life, what a joy it is to have you here with your big dog. Amen? Because if we can't cross that hurdle, we'll be stuck in a rut. Because I, I, I don't want us to be where we're at. I believe God wants to bring every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation, and we're to honor all people. We're to bless them. But God has to heal us if we're going to heal others. If we're not healed, you're not going to help others. Hurting people hurt people. Oh, you may think, well, I'm giving knowledge and gifts. No, no. If you're still wounded, you're passing that wound on. 
But when you're healthy, you're bringing healing. Let's bow our heads, shall we? Father, we just, we thank you, Lord, that you look for us. We thank you that you get close and love always goes low. It doesn't seek its own. Father, we pray today that you would be just open the heavens on this house. And Lord, we pray that you would begin to heal us from prejudice, from hurts, from bitterness, from anger, from anything in our life that would keep you from even coming into our own house. Lord, you didn't come as an inspector to condemn. You come to heal, restore, and listen and receive us and express your free gift, your love, your grace. Send the fire of revivals in our lives in Jesus' name. With every head bowed, just keep for a minute your head bowed. Maybe this morning you may say, Pastor Ray, I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus like this. I didn't know that he would love me where I'm at. I didn't know that he would forgive and heal me. I don't know. I've known Jesus from a religious place, but not where I'm willing to allow him to get really close in my spirit, my heart. If that's you this morning, you'd like to have Jesus in your life. I want you to raise your hand. Anyone? You don't know Jesus. Okay, I see your hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? I, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I see one hand. I know there's more. I'm going to ask one more request. Maybe this morning you say, you know, Pastor Ray, I've been so wounded and hurt and I just can't allow the Lord that close in my life because I'm afraid of what he would do. I don't know him as a healer, as a physician. I've only seen him as a judge to expose and hurt me. If you see him that way, I want you to raise your hand because we need to pray. Anyone like that? Okay, I see your hand. Anyone else? I don't see him as a loving father. I don't see him as a God who cares. Let's all stand to our feet, shall we? I'd like us to take each other by the hands. Two hands were raised. Not going to embarrass you, but if you'd like prayer, I'd love to pray with you after church. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, you come in your perfect love to extend grace into our lives today. You come as a physician to heal and to make whole. Not just to forgive our sins, but to transform our lives from, light, from darkness to light, from old ways to new ways, from death to resurrection life to being no leader, to being a leader in my home, to being an example in my home and in my marriage. Lord, help us, Lord, like Levi, to follow you, to invite you into our life, to see the goodness of who Jesus is, to trust you that way. We ask you to be with us and go with us this week, and we give you the highest praise. And everyone said? Turn to someone, give them a hug this morning. God bless you.